Welcome to the STP Radio Podcast, a show focused on sharing the insights, voices, and ideas from the software test professionals community of software testers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to STP Radio. This is your host, Mark Tomlinson. Once again, uh, I'm hoping to share with you some of uh, the different interviews and conversations with the speakers, teachers, and supporters of the upcoming STP conference. Uh, STP conference is going to be at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Burlingame, California, which is just south of the San Francisco airport. So those of you that have been at STP Con, uh, this is very similar location that we've done in the past. Um, the dates will be April 1st through the 4th, 2019. So it's coming up pretty quickly. Get out to www.stpcon.com, uh, the website you can register, or you can actually uh, just contact info at softwaretestpro.com for more information. Uh, today's guest, uh, I'm excited to chat with him because he's a very funny guy, uh, an incredibly knowledgeable guy, Rex Black, who's the president of Rex Black Consulting Services, which like any good independent person, you're the CEO of yourself. But there's more to RBCS than, than uh, we can say. Uh, but he plays a much larger role in the testing world as an author, uh, a teacher. Some of you may not know, he's, he wrote a very famous book on managing testing. Um, he's also the president of the ISTQB, ASTQB certifications board, so uh, in, in furthering certifications in our industry. Rex Black, welcome to STP Radio. Hey, great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited that we get to uh, dig a little bit deeper into um, what makes you tick in the testing world, because I think you and I go back probably 10 years oh. in terms of crossing paths here and there. Almost that, maybe. Maybe more. At least. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing the STP cons for, well, I think, if not since they started, very close to it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I was there under the, the old regime, if as it were. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the yeah, original, the original group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, how did, how did you actually come to get your start? You didn't just wake up one day, write a book for the six languages around the world and a hundred thousand <laughs> copies and, uh, and then, oh, I'm just going to be the president. How did you actually get started doing work in testing? So I got started doing work in software because I was getting a computer science degree and I needed to pay my way through college. And so I got a mm -hmm. job as a programmer at a, uh, small company uh, that made uh, financial services software uh, for brokerages. Cool. And so uh, Fortran, C, uh, CPM, MPM, Unix, uh, that sort of stuff. Did that for a bunch of years and um, eventually ended up uh, answering a uh, ad because um, remember there were these things called newspapers and they had these advertisements for jobs in them. And they used ink? Ink on like, on paper yeah. on pulp on paper yeah very like papyrus yeah These pulp trees yes <laughs> <laughs> so so they were looking for someone to come in and do um, automated um, Unix uh, test scripts for uh, okay. certifying uh, hardware as being compatible with um, uh, with Unix okay and uh, that that was. That was back in the day when um, you know Linux had not become the one ring to rule them all. And if you remember, there were like a bazillion different flavors of Unix out there. That's right. And um, yeah, so I came in and started doing that, uh, writing those um, automated scripts, worked there for a while. Uh, worked for a company called Locus that uh, wrote the, I believe, first Unix operating system for um, 
the IBM mainframes. So kind of uh, grand granddaddy of uh, uh, Zeos. Um, mm-hmm. Said they also ran on uh, PCs. Yes, would it be separate from AIX at the time? It was AIX, indeed. That's exactly what it was called. I would call it Locus yeah. Locus Computing Company, and that was that was AIX. That became AIX. Wow. Yep. And, um, and then I worked for another company uh, that did uh, multi-operating system, multi-database query software. And uh, that was some, some really cool technology like AIX. But unfortunately, just like Locus, this company didn't have a really great um, business plan in terms of resiliency. So I ended up, um, I got laid off from Locus when they eliminated most of their AIX people after the IBM contract wound down. And then I ended up getting laid off from this company two years later <laughs> because they suffered a similar downturn. Yep. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be out of work because of bad business decisions, I want them to be my bad business decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I'll feel better. I'll you know, feel you're better. no longer the victim. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody's going to drive the train that I'm on into a bridge, then I want to be the one driving the train, you know. So, <laughs> so, so I started RBCS and that's, um, that was 1994. Uh, and around that time frame, 1994, especially in IT, um, almost every software company, if you bought into the software, part of the package was you bought the training on location training and mm-hmm. there was a perfect certification program that you like you were, that was your tool. You're going to get started. You're going to, and that was how so many IT professionals, that was how we did it. Right. You're like, mm-hmm. I mastered this tool and take and learn a new thing, get on the train of I remember jumping jobs from one load runner gig to the next load runner gig, then became an instructor and, you know, there was this kind of, I don't want to call it a cottage industry, but IT was kind of small at that time, mm-hmm. uh, comparatively, um, you know, not necessarily to IBM and such, but but to some of this kind of way we used to do it. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started the company and we were focused on doing a lot of um, uh, testing projects for, for various clients. I uh, worked for uh, uh, Sun Microsystems, did some uh, uh, certification mm-hmm. similar to what I did when I started in testing, actually. And did a couple projects for Dell, um, which was uh, was fascinating because I got to work with their uh, Taiwanese facilities on the hardware part of what we were doing. So that was cool. And then uh, worked with um, Hitachi, did some work with them. Cool. So, And then uh, some other companies, a company currently called Lava Life up in Canada. Uh, and that, that was right around the time I decided, you know, I, I think I may actually know something about managing testing. And so I think I'll write a book and I'll creatively call it Managing the Testing Process. Yeah. Yeah, that was sort of the thing that got me, sort of transformed me from, um, you know, doing a lot of contract test projects to not only doing contract test projects, but also doing the speaking and, um, you know, training kind of work and, and so right. forth. So it was trans, a transformative thing. And then that led to... Uh, what brought you to then joining up or even uh, were you part of the beginnings of the ISTQB and the certification board work? Well, it kind of depends on how you count the beginnings. Um, I mean, it, it had been around conceptually since the late 1990s in a form of something in the UK from the British Computer Society. Uh-huh. But I got involved in about 2004 as we were trying to bring that here to the U.S. and then um, was elected um, – uh, president of the ISTQB in 2005. And I was actually, when I was president was when the ISTQB became an actual legal entity. We um, incorporated it in, under Belgian law. Right. Um, and uh, 
Bel- why why Belgian law? Just the, the EU kind of stuff? Yeah. Or a love of, of waffles and French fries and <laughs> fantastic beers? I, well, you forgot chocolate. Oh, uh, uh, chocolate. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I'm pre-diabetic, so I, I stay away from a lot of uh, sugars, okay. You know? yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, no, it's uh, because of the... Um, significant European elements of the certification. We thought that'd be the right thing to do. Sure. If I had to do it over again, I might do that a little differently because the um, laws governing nonprofits in the, in Europe, just in general, are, are pretty complicated compared to the United States. So okay. yeah. live and learn. So I did yeah. that for four years, um, president of the ISTQB and also the ASTQB. And then um, mm-hmm. I was done. So I think this is like maybe little known fact. Um, yeah. People th- often think me as like Mr. ISTB. Um, and I, I have stayed involved, uh, continue to work on a number of uh, syllabus development projects for them. But uh, I haven't I haven't actually sure. been an officer in either the ISTQB or the ASTQB for 10 years come March. 10 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they've evolved a lot. If you look at mm-hmm. kind of how, as the industry has changed, any, any certification board to stay relevant it's changed a lot as well. I, I remember I, recently, I think you worked with uh, my friend Alex Padelko on some performance syllabus mm-hmm. work. And there's a whole security section now as well that, that's come in. Yeah, and I've, I've been involved in a number yeah. of those. Uh, but, you know, as a um, as an author and contributor and yeah, I kind of let pe- other people do all the all the hard work. Very cool. So let's 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 focus on business then, um, because I have not been an attendee. Um, mostly because I don't care about my own career. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I've not been an attendee in your certification um, uh, courses, that, but I always see you there and have a great time catching up. Uh, for any folks that have no clue that this is something happens po- prior to the conference really rolling, mm-hmm. sometimes overlapping the first couple of days, um, how does it work? Because uh, I think there's three different workshops or the, uh, 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 classes um, uh, just describe them, kind of give us an overview. Sure. Uh, so it is a three-day training um, preparatory to taking the ISTQB foundation exam if if the person is so inclined. Though uh, certainly yeah. there are uh, usually people there uh, in addition to those who want to take the exam who just are there for the the information. Sure. Because uh, it is it's a it's basically a fundamentals of testing course. About the first day, I would describe as. Uh, a series of conceptual frameworks that help you organize your thinking about testing. I often tell attendees that it's like that. If, if you're if you're sort of self-taught, you learn by doing. Your your knowledge of the field is often like that drawer that everybody has in their kitchen. You know, oh yeah, where you know there's just like stuff gets thrown in and it and what, what did, not. What did you call that drawer when you were growing up? The junk drawer. Was the junk drawer? Ours was the everything drawer. Ah, okay. In my, uh, it's in the everything drawer. Because what's in there? Everything. Everything. Yeah. Not drawer. organized, yeah, but, I, like <laughs> but yeah. I know something's in there, and I'm probably going to hurt myself trying to dig through it. Indeed, because there's stuff that's sharp in there, and it's just laying around at odd angles, waiting to poke you right, right <laughs> under the fingernail. You know that? Get that oh. nice sharp thing right under your fingernail. And, whoa. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so the first day is kind of like how to avoid the sharp thing sticking under your fingernail experience. Uh, so you, Perfect analogy. You've got, you've got, you, it's, it's goes from being the junk drawer to being your silverware drawer where you've got the little organized tray and, you yep. know, everything's in its place. And so it's just kind of like mm-hmm. basic principles of testing, uh, bug clustering, um, 
uh, Boris's great uh, pesticide paradox, or those who know, not familiar with Boris Beiser's yeah. work on that. Um, uh, test levels yeah. and test types so that people are aware of uh, important stuff like, oh, say, performance testing, right, Mark? Oh, I don't know anything about that. That's, that's, <laughs> you don't have to. Cloud is infinite now. You don't have to do any of that. Right. We can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, scale. We don't, why worry about scale? Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the first day is like how to, how to, get organized in your thinking about software testing. And then the second day is really about test design techniques, black box yes, techniques, exactly. white box techniques, experience-based <laughs> techniques, and a lot of hands-on stuff there. We also do a little bit on reviews. So getting people kind of hip to the the power of, um, of doing reviews of things before you actually start building code from mm-hmm. them. Like maybe let's figure out what this user story actually means before we start coding it. Or even uh, you uh, hear at higher levels, even in like design reviews, like with the architecture team or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. So we get some practical experience with that on a very realistic uh, sample project. Mm-hmm. And then day three is um, about things like configuration management and uh, risk-based testing and, uh, Reasons why you want to have people who have uh, independent viewpoint involved in testing, some of the psych- psychological aspects associated with that, confirmation bias and so forth. Yep. And as a little discussion about tools, what tools can do for you, what they can't do for you, how to avoid uh, yeah. uh, shooting yourself in the foot, uh, as the cliche goes, or yeah. machine gunning machine gunning yourself in the foot, as a lot of people yeah. have done with tools. Yeah, exactly. So it's really, it's a kind of a... You know, three three days of ev- everything you really ought to know about testing, and and everything you ought to know fundamentally to get started. Because uh, you and I both have seen uh, you in particular, uh, like you say, you know, Mister ISTQB. There are um, these quote unquote schools of testing, but there's all sorts of other ways that you can approach this. Um, I, I think that seeing it as a foundation course and then more, uh, you can keep going. You can come go find another class. I don't know if the curri- ISTQB c- curriculum take the performance testing class, go learn more about security and, and mm-hmm. keep going right. As far as you can go. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we offer a number of those advanced test manager, advanced test analyst, which is like the black box test design techniques, advanced technical oh, yeah. test analyst, which is all white box test design techniques. Um, yeah. Security performance, uh, test mm-hmm. automation, engineering. So yeah. we've got, we've got quite a, quite a collection. Um, Including some non-ISTQB stuff. So, for example, we have the uh, the Selenium uh, course that we offer is a uh, three-day sort of fundamentals of uh, Selenium test automation. Yeah, or Selenium, as some people pronounce it, but I think the actual correct pronunciation is Selenium. And I'm not sure that the people who are using the tool have any clue of the background of Selenium. Ah, it's the, it's the antidote to mercury poisoning. Yes. And then of course <laughs> that that's three companies down the line from that's I mean those are all defunct and like no one will know that. Well I'll have a whole <laughs> go search Google that guys. That's right. The selenium and where it came from and kind of uh, I remember Adam Goucher it was giving some of that class some of the teaching at STP cons in the past. It's mm-hmm. one of the one of the guys that was helping on selenium contributions. Probably still is for all I know. Um so uh, it's a 3-day workshop. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, is it, is it, a, I don't know, is a fee above and beyond the normal attendance to STPCon? Uh, yes. Now you're getting into details that I really have to kick over to my business partner. That I'd, like, if you're going to ask me how exactly that works, yeah. I don't know because my business partner handles all that stuff. I just, 
I just stand up and talk. Right. You, you've, you've been the exact, you took care of all those things. You delegated them now. That's the, you get to do the fun stuff only. Um, which is <laughs> that's cool. right. But it, but it is just for, just so anyone listening that's thinking about signing up, uh, again, you can go to the website, get more information or even just ping, uh, the, the STPCon folks about what the fees look like. But included in that, uh, I think probably on day three, people can sit for the exam and obtain their certification, which I've, I've talked to people who have done that just last fall. And they're like, it was great. It was awesome. I'm, I'm certified. Yeah. I think the exam, we actually run the day after. Okay. Which sure. provides a couple benefits. One is it gives people an extra night to study. Yep. And it also, you know, the, the way the exams work is that uh, uh, other people who, who might want to take the exam are able to do it as well. Yeah. Uh, above and beyond people who took the course. Yeah. Above and beyond that. That, would, that sounds really... That sounds great. Um, the but there's um, more to Rex Black and Rex Black Consulting than just these types of courses. Like you say, you have the Independent Selenium course, uh, some other things around direct mm-hmm. consultative services. Give us a little view into you know what else RBCS does. So we are a consulting, training, and expert services company. So we talked about the training bit. Yeah, the consulting bit runs quite an ad- quite a, a, a gamut. So uh, I do a number of uh, what we would call assessments, go in and uh, look at uh, someone's testing operation and uh, come up with a set of recommendations for them. That, like, so I, I did uh, a couple of those general sort of general interest or general purpose uh, test assessments over the last uh, six months or so. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also do assessments that are focused. So I've done a couple of uh, focused assessments on test automation uh, over the last six months. So go yeah. in and look at uh, look at test automation operation. You know, how are they doing in terms of maintainability? Are they getting a positive ROI out of their automation efforts? Uh, what could they do better? Yeah. Best practices they could embrace and worst practices they could ditch and those kinds of things. Um, so that's that's interesting work. Yeah. And we also do the uh, TMMI, uh, that's a uh, testing maturity model integrated assessments, um, uh, finishing up one of those for a, uh, large pharmaceutical company right now. Yep. So yeah, we do a lot of that kind of consulting work. It's a big part of what we are. Um, and then expert services that, that, uh, also runs the gamut. Uh, we had, uh, one of our associates working on site to bootstrap a test team last year, mm-hmm. test team off ground for a, uh, organization. I'm working with a law firm right now, uh, doing some expert witness uh, work on a lawsuit, uh, digging through this enormous project that lasted seven years. Um, And I'm going through literally gigabytes of various kinds of information, uh, test results and um, yeah. you know, test strategy documents. And of course, lots of emails on these, yeah. these expert witness things. There's always a lot of email. Who who knew what, when, and it's the, it's the forensics, quite, quite literally the forensics uh, or archaeology, if it were, mm-hmm. of uh, decision-making within a project and stuff. That's fascinating, actually. Uh, it's, it's just totally fascinating. I worked on one two years ago where um, it turned out that somebody had put an or operator where they should have put an and operator in a chunk of uh, java code okay (laughs) and yeah and this this led to a failure in production um which they missed in testing because they didn't apply 
basic black box test design techniques, which they yeah. would have found it, and they didn't have proper test data management, which would also have probably uh, revealed it. But they didn't, and it went into production, and um, thousands and thousands of people were affected. And I was part of the team that uh, had brought the class action lawsuit against this organization, and they, they ended up um, uh, recovering of, of quite a large amount of money on behalf of their clients just because of this, you know, this simple mistake. An or statement. And or an or operator in a if statement where there should have been an and. So, it, um, so, and, so uh, I not ironically, <laughs> no, not unironically. Double negatives are great uh, <laughs> under the circumstances, and that's an ironic <laughs> statement about irony. Yes, is it is the uh, you can have development and testing, or you can have development or testing, and so I think that and or around development and testing, you know, they, they should have gotten that. It should have and tested and the proper test data and proper black box techniques and, uh, and, uh, terms and conditions on the website that said, you can't come sue us if we screw up an or statement. I, I think they may have had the terms and conditions, but you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's still negligence. Uh, in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was actually encouraged, um, in, in, and have been encouraged in my work as, uh, as an expert witness, to uh, to never use terms like negligence or other terms that have um, legal legal specific yeah terms. precise legal meaning because uh, basically they don't want their expert witness uh, suddenly pretending that uh, he or she is Perry Mason. Although that would be uh, fun. I'm more of the Columbo type. Uh, but Columbo is a cop, not a lawyer. Uh, well, I mean, who knew at the end? He was, <laughs> he was sensational, whatever it was. <laughs> just just one more thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do want to ask you a couple other things, just in in general, where you see us going, just industry-wise, given given your tenure and, and the things you've mm-hmm. brought to the industry and some of the ragtag DevOps stuff we see and small communities that are disrupting things here and there uh, and the tool landscape has exploded. What are you seeing uh, challenges uh, nowadays uh, for testers that, say, are in that intermediate time where they're, they're not quite experts, mm. but you know, they've, they've kind of gotten their career off the ground. Oh, yeah. What what are they facing? What are you, what are you helping them with? Well, one of the things that's, that's, I think fascinating is, is going to be, and I know, I know this is a total bright, shiny object, but it was what, what is AI going to do um, with respect to testing? You know, I've, I've got clients in the gaming uh, business, which mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes surprises people that they think, oh, you know, computer games. I mean, why would it matter? You know, but uh, that it matters for a, or a couple of reasons. One is that um, it is uh, now uh, a bigger business in the United States. Gaming is than movies. Yeah. Movies used to be our number one cultural export, but now it's video games. So it's an enormous industry with a lot of a lot of money and a lot of influence uh, and uh, also a very discerning and demanding user base. Um Mm-hmm. And so quality is really important, but testing those things is really hard, um, especially if you want to talk about automation. So those guys are really going to be on the leading edge of what AI does to transform uh, software testing, I think, because they have a kind of test oracle problem that is really exquisite <laughs> compared to, uh, say, you know, banking uh, application or insurance application or something like right. that, where the expected results are a lot more cut and dry yeah. and generally presented as as numbers rather than as figures moving on a screen in some sort of dynamic and exciting way that is hopefully also visually pleasing. Yeah. You know? um, so I think that's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying working with these gaming companies on 
on a variety of, of uh, their testing challenges. Yeah, and that you also see you also see gamification, I guess is the term, of other areas, right? So le- le- especially in education, of course, making learning more like games so it's more fun. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we'll see gamification of, you know, when you're interacting with your, uh, you know, new version of QuickBooks and your things are animated and, you know, kind of fun to interact with. Yeah. It's part of their product roadmap as well to make it feel a little bit like you're interacting in, in the information. And, and of course, to me, it's all polygons per second, you know, through a GPU. Right. Um, it's a whole other performance aspect to it. Um, but yeah, so gaming wise, and then the tooling, again, if somebody, yep. uh, you know, picks up, Hey, a traditional, I'll say traditional test tool, just the semantic being traditional, like you say for e-commerce or a financial app or, or something like that, um, fields in expected results, checks, that kind of stuff in gaming, the automation, like almost none of those tools apply. They have usually have very custom automation harnesses, don't they? Well, it's possible to apply it to some parts of the game, and that's actually in discussions with a client right now about how they might do that. But we get to the game itself, the game proper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're going, if you use the traditional tools, you're stuck doing a lot of partial oracle kind of things, where you're able to say, okay, I can, I can recognize gross uh, failures, uh, but the the fine grained stuff like you know, does that, does that character yeah. look right as it moves and that sort of thing? That's still, you, you still have to have a human in the loop, but that, that's the thing where I think AIs are going to start to change that. And it's, it's interesting. AIs are a two edged sword for the, uh, for the, for the gaming companies, because from the testing point of view, they have a lot of promise, but also mm-hmm. from the, from the game side itself, there's sort of a threat there because um, they worry about, people using AIs to play games in order to accumulate uh, points and prestige and, and uh, so forth, you know? So oh, sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. And, and I, but, but from a testing point of view, I expect that uh, there's going to be a lot of really fascinating advances made um, in, uh, in terms of how AIs can be applied for testing. And a lot of that is going to probably grow out of gaming, yeah. I expect, or at least have its sort of leading edge um, applications there at first. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, part of the other question I had um, was just sort of generally in the industry. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, personally have recently lit up uh, quite a uh, quite a hornet's nest around James Whitaker and Alberto Savoya and the whole test is dead thing. Uh, oh, oddly related to AI because, you know, of uh, Dr. Whitaker's uh, thoughts about coming back and talking to testing communities. Um, <laughs> what was your experience? I mean, that was, that was now, you know, years and years ago, almost a decade ago when the whole pronouncement of test is dead, but I, I you and I have been gainfully employed and bugs are certainly right. still happening and stuff. So I, I didn't see it being dead, but, uh, what were your no. takes on that? Well, I, you know, I mean, um, I'll, I'll, I'll step up and kick the hornet's nest myself here just because <laughs> while we're at it, I, you know, yeah. I, I think that's. That's an example of someone being a bomb thrower for the sake of being a bomb thrower and and saying something that's provocative to get a lot of people stirred up. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it's. I, I mean, I saw the same tweet that, that you did that you're referring to, and I think this is uh, this is pretty. Um, the word hubris comes to mind, though. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but uh, yeah, you know, to having. If if I if I divorced myself entirely from the field of software testing for eight years, 
I mean, you know, this is like we're talking dog years here, right? For right. Eight, eight years in a field moving as fast as software testing is, and then came back eight years later and said, ta-da, I'm here, I'm relevant again. <laughs> I I would expect I would expect the rodeo clown to run up and hit me in the face with a huge cream pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm not volunteering to be the rodeo clown at whatever <laughs> conference that James speaks at first. But should that come to pass, I will not be surprised. Would not be surprised. But and he's in a situation. It, it, it doesn't happen that often. I, I think. I, I he, and he's an intelligent guy. I would love to hear his how he's going to plan this. I mean, I really what not not in a dismissive way. Like you've got a. You're we're living in a world where. Uh, all of your online history, all the videos are stored. You can see everything you said. If you're in kind of a, a distinguished engineer evangelist kind of position, or like yourself, you're an author and and you have. I get on a radio on the podcast thing. Mm-hmm. You you will be held to account for mistakes you made. And uh, hubris, I think, is the right word. Uh, h- how is he planning to do that? And I, I I think though, test was not dead, and everyone in testing who's still alive. Uh, uh, we, you know, that, that was not a real thing. No, no, it was not. And, and, you know, um, I'm not going to out the person who did this tweet, um, because I don't know that she would want to, but somebody had a really, really great tweet about just, just can't wait to receive drops of wisdom from somebody who declared the last eight years of my career moot. <laughs> uh, and I thought that, you know, I, I told her that was exactly what I thought too. Yes. <laughs> you know? So spot, spot on. Uh, yeah, spot on. You know, I mean, Kim, so Kim Kaner, um, he's he's basically retired from testing, but for a much shorter period of time, right? He's he sure. he moved up to Canada a couple of years ago, and you know, he's he shared with me that he's sort of you know out of the out of the biz, um, and uh, he actually he was the one who referred me to the, this most recent expert witness gig that I've got because he he didn't want to do it himself because he felt he wasn't up to date. Yeah, you know, and this is this is two years we're talking about maybe three right uh, so i don't know like i said you know, it's like dog years i don't know how you come back after eight years and, and be relevant but uh yeah fortunately yeah. i don't i i've been i've been lucky to stay relevant by um by doing a lot of this consulting and expert witness kind of stuff and expert services because uh, it, it really um you know forces me to actually get into the weeds with with clients um uh, I mean, I think the training is great, and I think you, you, yep. you know, as I'm sure you know, you can learn a lot from, from the attendees of your course and what they share with you. But, um, and and training is great, and it gives you a very broad sense because you get exposure to a lot of what's going on in the industry, you know. Uh, but it's not very deep. You don't really get a chance to really burrow around into into people's testing problems, and that's what I really love about the consulting and expert services stuff that we do. Yeah, and it's and it's part of what you get to leverage. Uh, back to your uh, your clientele, right? Yeah. Uh, the folks that are like, I want somebody that can give me the broad scope and then help me go deeper into the qualitative parts of what they're actually challenged with. Yep. Rex, this is a, a great conversation. Uh, my obligatory question is always, when was the last time you were in San Francisco? Oh, when was the last time I was in San Francisco? When I was working with my uh, pharmaceutical client doing the... Um, uh, TMMI and um, automation assessments. Uh, so it's a dub- double-barreled assessment okay. gig up there. That was in uh, November, uh, right, right before and right after Thanksgiving. And I got to spend Thanksgiving in uh, Lake Tahoe. Get out of here! Oh yeah, 
That yeah. sounds awesome. Uh, and, and so it, did you do anything else in San Francisco proper that you would recommend people go and see or do or eat? Mm. eat eating things is yes. very popular, apparently. Yes. Eat, well, yeah. Uh, you know, San Francisco is one of those great uh, American cities in that you get and any kind of food that you might want and as authentic as as you might want it. Um, you know, from yeah. from uh, Asian food, you know, the uh, sushi and sashimi to die for there. And that's true. Italian food and, uh, you know, seafood of various kinds. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just a fantastic um, city that way. And it's, it's uh, also, you know, it's kind of, it's a, it's a pretty city, um, which you, you can't, uh, sadly can't say that about all American big cities. You know, I, I, I went to school at UCLA, so I think I've got the right to say that Los Angeles, Los Angeles has a number of things going for it. It's got a beautiful ocean and it's got the mountains right there. But as a city, it's not a pretty city. Not particularly you know? attractive. Seattle is quite attractive. It's got a yep. skyline with the mountain background. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. But isn't isn't the L.A. is when they when the movie openings, I think it's one of the movie companies that you come over the hill and you sweep across the lights of the city. Isn't that Hollywood, L.A. kind of? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like maybe it's pretty at night when you can't see it. It it is it is pretty at night from the Hollywood Hills. If you're looking into the city, yeah, uh, it is it is actually pretty. I have a, a college friend of mine who has a house up there, uh, and uh, yeah, sitting out on his uh, porch, um, looking over the city. It is it is quite pretty. Uh, pretty yeah. in yeah. It's pretty in the dark. <laughs> pretty in the dark, and yep. and San Francisco as well. So I I think if you yep. can in the evening make your way out to the bay uh, somewhere, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe even go like if you're on the Golden Gate. Looking back at the city, that's uh, that's quite a shot. That's, you know, last time, no, not last time. Time before last, when I was there uh, uh-huh. in August, uh, we went and did this. Uh, this is going to sound like a blatant plug, but I, they they are not a sponsor. I don't get any <laughs> money from them. We did the the one of these hornblower uh, bay cruises where you get dinner and you go out and they they drive you around the bay at night. Yeah, that's a good time. Yeah, uh, that and if you want, yeah, if you want to get a really uh, a lot of different perspectives on the city at night. Great, you know, pictures that you can take of the of both the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge. Um, cool. Yeah, that's and it's it's not terribly expensive. I think it's one hundred and thirty dollars a person, uh, which you know, given that it includes a uh, includes dinner and the and the yeah. trip around the bays, and it's not it not. Uh, it's not ridiculous. I'd encourage everybody to do it yeah. once if, if, you know. That yeah, absolutely. You are the, I think the third person I've interviewed that has said, uh, go out on a boat. And I think Angie Jones said, yeah. you know, go, you know, a glass of wine and watch the sun and, mm-hmm. you know, it's the evening cruise and you get the e- dusk of evening and then the actual city lights at night. All uh, right. So that's it. That's a, another vote for going out on a boat. Actually, one other one. Okay. I'd recommend one other thing. If you're a, if you like to jog or yes. ride a bicycle, there is a park. Um, now, I'm not talking about Golden Gate Park here. This right, it's right on the former military base. If you're in the, um, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Isn't it the Presidio? That's what it is. The Presidio, the Presidio. yeah, the Presidio, yeah. yeah. And you, you can you can run up there right around sundown. You see the bridge. It's really nice, and you can jog down and along the along the water there, um, you know. And as it's, you know, for whatever whatever you're good for, I mean, it's uh, you know, you can twenty minute jog, hour jog, two hour jog. You know, it's it's uh, that's a, that's a fun yes, experience. Uh, the Presidio, 
uh, it has a golf course as well. And the thing in my head that I remember oh. is that's the uh, Lucasfilm, the Yoda fountain is of Lucasfilm. So if you're a Star Wars fan, go to the Presidio and get take a selfie with Yoda at the Yoda fountain. Wow! Imagine that. I have never. I've it was such wisdom I have not received. <laughs> <laughs> See it, I must, next time I am there. Yes, there, next time am I. Yes, that's something like that, <laughs> whatever it is. Awesome. Uh, Rex, thanks very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you and uh, catching up in San Francisco, my friend. Yeah, looking forward to being there, Mark. All right, awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of STP Radio. Please join us at STPCon April 1st to the 4th, 2019, at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Burlingame, California. Tickets are available at www.stpcon.com or email info at softwarechestpro.com. Until next time, this is Mark Tomlinson for STP Radio.